Welcome to CinemaScope, a new podcast from True Story FM. Hi, I'm Andy Nelson, co-host of the Next Real Film podcast and Movies We Like. As a passionate movie lover, I've always relished exploring the diverse landscape of cinema. And when you look closer at the taxonomy of genres, subgenres, and film movements, you see an intricate web of interconnections and influences. This complex cinematic family tree spans only 125 years. So how did styles as diverse as the French New Wave, New Queer Cinema, and Ozploitation emerge? What cultural, economic, and technological forces sculpted these styles? And what hidden threads unite them all as part of the same fantastic art form? Those questions sent me on a journey to explore each style and trace their impacts, all to better understand the bridges between different styles. And that led me here to CinemaScope. In each episode, I'll be exploring one particular genre, subgenre, or film movement in depth, inviting expert guests to help us all better understand what defines that style, how it came to be, and what branches it, in turn, influenced on this big cinematic family tree. For example, how did German Expressionism shape American film noir? What's the difference between Westerns, Spaghetti Westerns, and Brazilian Nordesterns? We'll examine the economic and socio-political forces that birthed categories like black exploitation, and we'll spotlight visionary films and directors key to the evolution of different styles. So join me as we explore the complex forces that shape film's evolution and appreciate the diverse creativity possible in its relatively brief history. Let Cinemascope be your guide to understanding this art form we cherish how its genres blend, bounce off each other, and advance a rich tapestry of storytelling innovation. Together, we'll gain a deeper appreciation for this wondrous, shape-shifting medium. Our journey begins soon. Be part of this adventure by subscribing to CinemaScope today. In November of 2023, three middle-aged men disappeared near TrueStory.fm headquarters in Portland, Oregon, while recording a podcast. One week later, their recording was found. Let's see why you like this video camera so much. You do? It's not quite reality. Reality says we gotta move. No, but it's totally like a filtered reality, man. It's like you can pretend everything's not quite the way it is. Welcome, boys and ghouls, to Sitting in the Dark, the only podcast ever about horror movies. <laughs> I'm your ghost host, Tommy Metz III, and I'm joined today by my two ghastly co-ghost hosts, Peter, our bearded Demeter Wright. Say hi, Pete. Oh, hi, Tom. And also by our postmodern Prometheus, Andy Nelson. Say hi, Andy. Hello, hello. And this episode, we are talking about filtered reality, found footage, screen life, and the epistolary tradition. Now, why did I give you the nicknames our bearded Demeter and postmodern Prometheus? Because the Demeter was the ship Bram Stoker's toothy pal Dracula sailed on to get to England, and the modern Prometheus was the alternate title for Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. And what do both of those literary horror classics have in common? Any guesses? Epistolary novels. Epistolary novels, correct. They were both written in the epistolary tradition, and for this podcast, I would like to posit, and I'm surely doubting I'm not the first to do, 
that that film has upheld the epistolary tradition in the form of found footage films and screen life films, and we are going to be starting with found footage. Now, would one or both of you please explain to the audience what you believe epistolary to mean? Oh, that should definitely go to Andy, I think, because he's, oh, well, the, thank you. he's, the, he's the, the guest <laughs> guest in, right. in the class. I, you know, I did have to look it up when you told me this, but then I was like, oh, I, I know exactly what that is. Like, I've read novels that are epistolary novels where, I mean, it's a liter it's a work that is, is done in a, in, where you're reading letters, things like that, like the Griffin and Sabine novels or Stephen King's Carrie or things like Color Purple, Bridget Jones' Diary. You already mentioned Dracula and Frankenstein. Um, that's essentially what epistolary means, uh, but usually in like the literary form, but but now we're taking it into cinema. Watch us work. Right. My first example of it growing up was a book called Dear Mr. Henshaw. And for that ages me, but Dear Mr. Henshaw is completely uh, about a kid writing letters to his favorite author and then Mr. Henshaw writing back. Um, yes, you're exactly right. It's a text that's made up of other texts like letters, diary entries, interview transcripts. Um, basically, it's a storytelling device that <gasps> that Eminem song. Stan. Exactly. Yeah. It's exactly yeah. that. You're right. But isn't all rapping epistolary? Anyway. Um, <laughs> it's a storytelling device that implies that events have not been filtered by like the hand of an all-knowing or God's eye view or all-knowing author. Instead, it's the raw materials of what has been, of what transcribed in this way, the form is the function. And as I said, I would like to posit that films, found footage and screen life films are continuing this tradition. Uh, before we jump in, uh, the found footage genre uh, arguably began in 1980 with the film Cannibal Holocaust, but we're not going to talk about that dumb, gross film. And we're not going to talk about a ton <laughs> of these films. This is going to be a deep uh, dive, not a wide net. We will be talking about other films, and I will really quickly uh, list other films that if you are interested, and it'll be in the show notes, that you can continue your study. But the four films that I picked that I thought were important to watch the evolution of this tradition, uh, well, these four films that we'll be picking apart are The Blair Witch Project, Unfriended, Host, and Deadstream. So, if we are talking about epistolary horror films, what effect do you guys think that has? Pete, you haven't said anything smart yet. What do you, but, uh, God, you just always set the bar exactly where it needs to be. Right? Like, um, do you I, think that they work? And if they work, yeah. what works about them? Yeah, I, I think that they really do work because I, I think one of the one of the things you brought up is that, uh, you know, it's unfiltered, but it's also highly subjective right like that is a that is a, a piece that we get in found footage films especially Blair Witch like each camera has a completely subjective opinion as they are screaming at each other through the woods right. um, and I think that actually has held up uh, through the uh, through the other films that you had us watch and the others on sort of the bonus list that that what we get through each whether it's a letter a retelling of a story whatever it is the subjective truth of that participant in the story. And I think that makes it really compelling. Um, it, it also allows you to sort of build in 
unreliability in whatever narrator we happen to be listening to at the time, because it's just their subjective experience. And who knows if what they're seeing is accurate and, and real. It, it may be us on the other side of the screen that sees something that, that relegates what they're doing as true or false. So I, I, think, it's, I think it's fascinating. That's one of the things that makes it really work for me. There, there is one other, which I, I, maybe I can hold until Deadstream, but it is, it is, it is involved in setting and putting my eyes in first person is challenging for yours truly. So, oh, got it. Okay, uh, Andy, did you have something you wanted to add? I mean, I think there is a really interesting element to the nature of taking the idea of kind of the epistolary tradition and translating it into film and seeing how you can do that because, um, to a certain extent like epistolary tradition, I suppose it's, I mean, it's, I guess not always, but you know, it's multiple, it can be like multiple voices, like letters back and forth or things like that, or, or articles or whatever the case may be. And, and oftentimes with these, it, uh, it can very much be like a particular, like the cameraman or the director who's filming and tell the story. So you are kind of limiting it to just that one person, but, I do think that there there has been an interesting evolution in that in the way that it's taking away from like if you go back to things like Cannibal Holocaust, my recollection of that is it really is just kind of them filming this documentary and you're kind of getting some behind the scenes as they're kind of talking to each other and then all the way through to the end. But in Blair Witch, you know, the thing I found interesting there is we're introducing a second camera. And so we've got the 16 millimeter. We're filming this for the story camera. And then you've got the behind the scenes kind of like, this is our video camera. We're capturing everything, which really kind of became the, the found footage tradition from then forward of, of, um, you know, we're going to just always filming. Like I think of Cloverfield, we got to be filming. We got to, you know, the people have got to know whatever, but then you start getting into these other ones that you're talking about. And that's where it became really interesting, uh, to me is looking at how suddenly with the advent of things like zoom and whatnot, like you can really start introducing, multiple characters and you really are kind of getting all those different perspectives and I, I thought that was interesting although it's also interesting how to a certain extent internet connection ends up becoming like the um the nemesis to right. actually the letting the story be the told, unseen you know? hand yeah <laughs> right. for sure yeah. right right I love all of that. Yes, all of that is exactly right and Pete uh I had never thought about the idea of unreliability. I would have thought that this brings more reliability to it because you're stripped away so much of the artifice but what you're saying makes a lot of sense because it is still you're seeing out of the eyes of one person um yeah i think the the big three things that i think it does which you both have already pretty much said is it's limitations of viewpoint because you're restricted to what you would naturally film in a real relatively non-artistic way you're not setting scenes you're not um having establishing shots um and then there's the absence of traditional film production and artifice and i think all of it leads to one big thing which is suspension of disbelief it breaks the uh general sort of agreement that you have of i'm sitting down to watch a film and i'm protected you're you're protected by the level of artistry you're protected by things like uh, establishing shots, rhythm, uh, different editing choices. It re it removes that layer of separation and protection between the film and the viewer, uh, and it really puts you in the headspace of the characters. Um, 
you are the like you said pete uh especially like in uh deadstream you are seeing out of the eyes of the victim in an uh in a certain way so again uh, in the exact same way like in um uh, books the form uh is the function so with that now that that hair this harrowing table has been set do you guys want to go ahead and dive into our first film <laughs> for sure excellent yeah. okay so the blair witch project 1999 directed and edited by daniel Mirick and eduardo sanchez fictional story of three student filmmakers who hike into the black hills near burkittsville maryland in 1994 to film a documentary about a local myth known as the blair witch the three disappear and their equipment and footage are discovered a year later do you remember your experience of seeing Blair Witch for the first time? Oh, yes. Yeah, I, I loved the poster uh, when I saw it in theaters, and we ended up going opening night, um, packed house, mm -hmm. and it was uh, one of those uh, films that I think the audience just really got into, all you yeah. know, all the way just, and it just kept building, because it's a slow build with that film. I mean, it takes a while as they're kind of walking through the woods and then getting lost. It's really so much of it is about the tensions built by the characters, right. but I mean... Yeah, just the audience, like all the way up to that last moment in the film. I mean, it just was, it was an incredibly effective theatrical experience. I loved that one. That's awesome. Pete? I, I didn't uh, I didn't see it in the theater, and it, it took me a, a little while to come around to it. And when I finally did, and maybe this is what's lost in the theatrical experience, I think I might be an island on this movie. I think mm. it is ridiculously boring as a film, mm. and the last minute is not enough of a payoff for me to actually play that, to play off the the intensity. And so I I feel like I just have never connected with the movie beyond the cultural relevance, right? Like this this significant right. cultural impact, popularizing found footage, and as Andy said earlier, like demonstrating what the new norm should be in how we document document, you know, and tell stories like this. The other piece of it is creating a mythos that feels real, right? That isn't like, I don't know much about the Blair Witch history, but I have to imagine that these kids diving in on this sort it is fictional, right? Like the, is the Blair Witch a thing that people are scared of for real? I don't. They are now. <laughs> they are. That's what I mean, <laughs> right. right? Isn't that interesting? Like, it feels like these kids telling this subjective story of sub through subjective reality have created a thing that is uh, that that feels bigger than the sum of its parts to me. So uh, I I know it's an important movie. I just realized watching this again last night that it to me is a slog of a movie. I. It's the only movie that I watch where I would rather be traipsing through the woods eight hours a day than actually watching these people do it. But even the scene when they're buying the marshmallows? Okay. Um, uh, real quick, just to toss off my experience of seeing it, I actually saw it um, at the New Art Theater before it came out in its theatrical run. Oh, uh, so you're showing was, off now. Okay, yeah, I just want to make sure that's the segment that we're at in. Bedford Falls, and they had gotten, uh, their agents had gotten uh, a couple tickets to it, to mm -hmm. this sort of un, uh, and so like most premieres are like at the Fox, or, you know, think of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, those kind of movies. This is a tiny art theater in Santa Monica, and uh, this is just after um, Artisan had bought the film, after its run at Sundance, so the directors were there. 
and the directors were in jeans and t-shirts and kind of like hunched over and like, yeah, it's cool that people are going to be able to see it. We hope people like it. Having no idea that they are about to change the game mm -hmm. forever. Um, it was really, <laughs> I just always remember that. They have no idea because they're just sort of like, we made this film and it's cool. Goodbye. Feels like um, a festival film. Right. Like, yeah, we go to festivals, we see movies that are of the same grade and quality in general. It feels to me like a festival film. And you're right. It changed the game. Yeah. Um, so I understand your feelings of boredom. Uh, for me, a I can't separate it from that first time that I saw it yeah. and how incredibly effective That's where I am. that yeah. was for me. And so all of the leading up to it, the slow burn, like Andy called it really works for me because it makes it so realistic it's so there's no polish the camera work was famously done by the three leads and it's not great like in many scenes even when they're interviewing like interviewing mike just sort of off the cuff it's focused on the leaves slightly more on the leaves behind right. him because it's on <laughs> autofocus there's just and then they're always talking over each other they're kind of awkward. You can feel, they really feel like they're just meeting for the first time. They're not very funny, even though they're trying to be. I find that all to be really captivating and just incredibly, incredibly real. Uh, and that makes a big, um, made a big difference for me. Um, because then when you take away that protection of uh, knowing that you're just watching a regular movie, if, if you're able to suspend that disbelief, then you are really, it is just reduced to a fear of being lost and or chased in the woods. And as we talk about on another podcast, Pete, that's incredibly primal. We've mm -hmm. been uh, ready to feel <laughs> that fear for forever. Um, well, and here's, here's yeah. an interesting, I don't know if this is interesting at all, but one of the things that I think the movie does that does bring me in at the end in the final sort of minute, right? As they're, they approach the house and they go into the house and they hear the voice and Unlike some of these uh, these sorts of movies where the fear instinct is a um, is is a limiter, right? Where you get the the oh my god, I can't go out there. I have to move slowly. I have to be scared, right? I have to I have to communicate my fear so that that translates to the audience. What this movie does is it creates a shield that the the intensity of their sort of adrenal output is a shield that causes them to walk right into the horror hmm. and we're riding on their backs as it happens, right? They right. walk right into the final second. And it's it's because they're trying to save their friend and they're all like hyped up. And and I think that's actually really interesting. Like that there is no sense that they're that's like they forget they're walking through a terrifying haunted house that is broken down and maybe full of spooks, but also full of bad girders and stairs that are probably going to break. Just, and just like, regular old, old it's tetanus. Just, right? <laughs> that's tetanus. the real horror. That's the horror. <laughs> like life is trying to kill them in this sequence and right. they're running into the spiritual horror too. Yeah. Well, but I think one of the reasons that that's interesting in, in is, and I don't know if this really ties into the conversation about like the epistolary nature but just as far as the film itself goes like like that often happens in horror movies where they hit this point where they have to go running back in yes. to save somebody and try to get out and they may or may not make it but what was uh, what, why i think that at least for me that ending was so effective was because when they actually get there and then we have that last moment of seeing him standing in the corner and then clunk like i just was completely not expecting that mm -hmm. i was expecting something you know else of them trying to actually get out of there and so that that's i think why it ended up being so effective is because it 
it was building into where I was expecting horror to go, and then I was kind of expecting more, but then it just like right. gave me that kind of shock ending at that moment. Yeah. Do you wonder That's if they were shocked too? Like, oh God, we just killed all of us. Now there's no more movie. <laughs> right? Right. Like, like <laughs> the payoff is short. <laughs> Well, they I, I don't want to go into the making of these movies very much, but yes, when Mike runs downstairs and Mike is his that's his real name, the producer yeah. did knock him to the floor and then say, Quick, 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 go stand in the corner. Like the directors were there on set, really pushing them to do these things. And that idea of standing in the corner came very late. Like on the day of the last they didn't know exactly how they were going to end it, to which they went and retconned that interview. That Vox Pop interview about the guy saying how the kids were killed. They put that in later in order to make it make sense. Um, oh, fascinating. Okay. That's yeah. interesting. That's interesting. Uh, they knew that that was a cool image, but then they felt the need to sort of justify it later. Yeah. 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 Sure. Um, about the we're talking about how it just sort of ends, you're expecting more. That's another really interesting thing about this movie is um, the time jumps. Because there's just no need to film all the time. When we get into internet stuff, things are just running and running and running and running. But this, like all of a sudden, like Josh disappears just off camera. He's just gone. We hear him later where it's right. suddenly night. It's suddenly day. You have no idea how much time has gone in between. And that that again is a layer. I'm sorry to keep using. I should have come up with more phrases. But that layer of protection, mm -hmm. you don't know when we're in a period of pressure release which is always promised in movies. Big scares, pressure release. Big scares, pressure release. Here, you have no idea if someone is going to, you know, get the marshmallows. Um, <laughs> the very end of the film, because that is, I think, one of my favorite endings of all time for two reasons. Number one, this isn't about epistolary, but I love supernatural movies when you get the idea of some sort of glimpse of the other side. It's teasing you about, and I'm just horrified and haunted by the idea of what kind of force could attack Mike and make him so he's standing in the corner. Like, what progressed in those few seconds to make it if he was possessed or whatever? I find that so shivery. And then about now going back to Epistolary, um, Mike is ha uh, has the camera, the only camera, with sound. And so he's yes. knocked out first, and it's knocked down on the floor. The rest of the movie is from Heather's viewpoint with no sound, so you're seeing out of her eyes, but hearing her from downstairs, she's slowly getting closer to her own doom. You know where the target is, and she's getting closer and closer and closer to it. That's really smart. Oh, I mean, and the fact that that cue is the oral cue. Yeah. Like, when, when her sound gets loudest, you know she's going to reach the end. That's that's a great point. That's yeah. very effective. Well, and, and that's like, you know, in you know, using these two viewpoints, these two cameras that we're telling this story through, like that is a, a really kind of perfect blending of those two, like coming together right at that climax, which uh, I, I think made it even more effective because we are hearing her get closer and it, uh, yeah, super creepy. Another thing that I always think about is the fact that you brought it up earlier, Pete, before we started recording, but the very famous Heather filming herself with the camcorder, giving the apology to the parents, giving the apology to everyone, which she says, I can't close my eyes. I can't, I can't open my eyes. I can't close them. Um, that that has been, has become sort of a meme. It's the poster. People sort of make fun of it. The one thing that we miss in that is a far shot. 
that that actually is a terrifying thing because she's so alone. She's mm -hmm. for us, she's Brit bright lit up and we're with her. But if you were to cut to a real far exterior, she, she's in complete and utter darkness, completely alone in the woods. Uh, it's yeah. So no, I completely understand Pete. I, again, I'm unable to separate myself from, and I don't, again, cause I don't want to go into the actual making of the movie, but the marketing of this movie what right. changed the game also for forever that a lot of people went in believing this was real and there was think pieces about how can this be allowed what would the parents think like it got ahead they really uh made it seem like it was real and then there was a a very noticeable backlash against the film because people felt they were lied to this is before uh filmmakers were doing like in the beginning of fargo that this is a true story uh certain names have changed but everything else really happened and then people found out none of that happened none of they that just happened. made it up yeah um and so there was definitely a backlash about well, filmmakers tell lies right oh my shocked shocked i tell yeah. you uh i i think it's really interesting like you uh, to talk about the market the thing i remember about the marketing is is when they started they switched from hey here's this documentary about this thing and people started to believe that and then they post started posting missing posters of the right. actors right yeah. as a way to promote and that was I feel like when when people started seeing those not knowing the background, we're like, oh, my God, what is really happening with this movie? Like it just it's it's so provocative for, right. you know, concern or intrigue, whatever. But I, I think that that really pushed some interesting bounds. Well, and Tommy, you were saying that you didn't want to bring that into the conversation, but I can't help but think that that's perfectly part of the epistolary tradition. And it, but it's it's evolving it in an even uh, grander way where it actually starts, you know, it's, it's like meta involvement where the audiences and the public who some people don't even see the movie, they start seeing the stories and start believing mm -hmm. that stuff. And it's, it's a really fascinating way to integrate everything, um, on a, on, on an even bigger scale. Yeah. Before, before we move off this movie, I also just have to say one of these, like just thinking about this epistolary, uh, like tradition as these found footage and uh, types of films. One of the things that I think is interesting with these is that, you know, it's, it's a device that runs like it's recording. And so once our characters die, it keeps going. And so that's something that I think is, is interesting in like this film. And um, we'll talk about it in the subsequent films, but it's almost like, I, and I'm trying to think of an example in, a, in an epistolary thing. The only one I can think of, which isn't an epistolary, but it's in, in Monty Python and the Holy Grail when they're reading the, 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 the writing on the wall and, and, and he's signing his name is like, you know, ah! <laughs> and it's like, it's like the death scroll as his, as his handwriting, right. right. Happening in real time. Like that's essentially <laughs> like the, what you'd get in an epistolary example of like the film keeps running until the, the tape runs the, the actual, it runs out or the battery dies or right. whatever. Yeah. Um, anything else about Blair Witch or should we move on and enter the world of screen life? Oh, screen life. Let's do it. Unfriended 2014, directed by Levon Gabriadzi, I believe, and it's produced by, I apologize, Tamir Bekmambetov. And Tamir Bekmambetov is the real kind of star here for screen life. Uh, he is the producer that really dragged this into where it is now. Um, the 
And I think this is the next evolution of found footage. We're moving away from found footage to screen life. Uh, the term screen life was made up by uh, Tamir B, who produced Unfriended. Uh, I went to Bing and typed in Google, and then I clicked on Wikipedia. And according to it, uh, Tamir says that for a film to be screen life, quote, a computer screen uh film should take place on one specific screen never move outside of the screen the camera work should rese resemble the behavior of the device's camera all the action should take place in real time without any visible transitions and all the sounds should originate from the computer and i think this is the new evolution of found footage because it takes on the trappings of our devices our computers, our phone cameras, how how so many more people are ingesting and watching these things now. It's how we experience the world around us. Again, another way of taking away our defenses, our protection between us and the experience that we're watching. What did you guys think of Unfriended? Spoiler alert, I'm an I saw it in the theater and I'm an enormous fan. I think it's I think <laughs> okay, it's so remarkable. We, we should be careful about how we respond because you're going to come <laughs> on the No, I I'm not going to say like here's We're why to start perfect. getting strange messages. Yeah. <laughs> right. Wait, is this Tommy? Is this Tom? Who are you? <laughs> Who are you? Get out of this call. <laughs> I I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. A, it was him though. As a measure of how effective I found this movie to be. I was, I was, I saw it in the theater and then the next day I was talking about it to a coworker and I was like, and they were trying to like turn down the music and they couldn't. And yes. he was like, ooh, spooky. And I was like, but it was! <laughs> okay. All right, so what did you guys think? Uh, whoever wants to go first. And please be as honest. It's totally fine if this didn't work for you. On no, I, I loved it. I just, uh, just watched it and I had such a great time. I think I just, I've always really enjoyed the found footage style anyway. Like yeah. I am a big fan, even when, I, you know, sometimes you're like, why are they really still holding the camera? You know, right. I, like when those thoughts go through your head and this, you know, I, I had some issues with this, like you, she's screen sharing and I'm like, wait, aren't they seeing her sending her messages now to her boyfriend and stuff like that? And they weren't apparently. So I'm like, I don't know when the screen sharing stopped. So there, there were some little issues, and uh, but honestly, I, I just found it to be so effective, and they really did a great job. I mean, you're just reading kind of the definition of screen life, and uh, and I felt like they really kind of stuck with those rules. I mean, I guess it makes sense since Timur produced this and uh, probably came up with all those rules as they were making this right. particular film. But like, it was just really effective and fun the way that they integrated all the different windows, the changing of the windows, the pulling up different tabs, even when the music would would get used um, as a way to kind of enhance scenes and everything. And because she's using uh, Spotify, so it's still diegetic. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Um, all the way up to the I, I it's the breaking of the computer screen rule with the jump scare at the end, right? Like all the way through to that, I, I found this like actually really surprising and I had a great time. So I'm very glad to have seen this one. Oh, I wish good. I saw it in the theater. Yeah, I was, that was going to be my first comment, Andy, because I think, you know, we talk about what m movies are great for the big screen, right? Um, and they're usually big in scope and we, we want to see the size of the IMAX and all that. This is another one of those movies, this entire category, because user interface elements are hard. And there are so many details on the screen that I wanted to read and see big. And I just felt like I, I did not watch this in VR. I absolutely should have because I wanted to take in 
all of the the hints and tricks that they were they were putting on screen that I feel like likely augment the story in in some way shape or form scrolling past headlines of past trauma like all of that stuff I wanted to take it all in and I felt like this was it was a challenge to do so I had a blast because I think the movie lived by its rules I I love interfaces and watching how they used the interface and didn't violate the interface in a way to make the movie happen like everything she was doing she was doing it way too fast but it works like the stuff she was doing would have worked and that i delight in that um andy brought up i think andy brought it up one of you brought up one of you brilliant gentlemen brought up the oh. idea of time and time jumps maybe that was you tom in blair witch isn't it interesting how we turn to this movie and it sort of has to take place in mm -hmm. real time right because the call started right, right. so like two of the movies that we're talking about had to take place in real time because of the stories they're talking about. And the third one does, you know, by uh, extension. And I thought that was great too. It also means they have to make every minute full of something to take in. Right. And I was just reveling in that challenge, how they kept me interested in this movie from the beginning. I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. Two things. One, with the sheer amount of stuff that you're looking at with all the tabs, one of the things that I think is really clever and that is used in all of Tamir's produced movies is the use of following the mouse cursor to point out the most important yes. things. Because we all do that. We sort of like idly yeah. move a mouse. I'm doing it right now <laughs> while I'm talking. Idly move it around just because you have to see don't um, accept messages from dead. And so the cursor's sort of like this, or the things about Laura Barnes. Pete, what you're saying about the slowing down and looking at all of the different things on the screen, I have done that to a certain extent. There isn't quite as much as you would hope for, except for uh, unexplainedforums.net. There is some cool stuff on there. But Tamir B. produced the movie starring John Cho called Searching. And yes. Searching is more of a thriller than a horror movie. There is, in the extras, there's a whole thing where in all of because he there's a lot of time passage in that movie it's not like real time but it all takes place on a screen and there is an entire subplot about an alien invasion happening <laughs> in the comments and like partially hidden uh newspaper article lines and internet posts and stuff like this there's this whole other story going on that they just put in for fun that you can find and find at the side so he definitely likes doing that which is really cool um I love how I'm a big fan with playing with the opening of studio title screens. Oh, I love that the logo. Glitching, I was sold with that. The glitching, the glitching of the universal thing, because I saw it in the theater. I wonder how many people have put in a DVD or are watching it and they're like, Ugh. Because maybe they don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like an Andy Kaufman joke of like screwing up the yes. uh, the vertical roll, so you want to go and hit your. Uh, so the reality is changing before we even see it. Um, I like that it's already dated because they're on Skype. Yes, like that. that was we've fast. left that behind. Yeah, um, and um, one of the things that I think is the best for stripping away the protections and making helping the suspension of disbelief is unlike dumb tv shows like especially like sv law and orders or svus mm -hmm. or the upcoming we're going to be talking about a dead stream they didn't have to make up fake products yeah they didn't have to make up fake technologies it really is facebook it really is spotify it's all of these things that we're so used to that i know my coworker made fun of me but to then have things grayed out 
that aren't supposed to be grayed out to just not be able to to type in a form on Facebook and then have all of the text immediately change. That is really unnerving because we're yeah. so used to all of that working at our beck and call. And so, and again, I'm already afraid of technology. So when technology betrays you, uh, like the fra- I love the uh, lines in this movie. Well, it's just a glitch. Well, the glitch just typed. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, <laughs> it, really it made fun. me think like I, it, it honestly, I, I go back to this movie and I think about the years since it has been made. Right. It's the nine mm-hmm. years. And I wonder you know, how many, how you could use this as like a repository of all the things that big technology companies have fixed as like internet security. People are looking at this movie and like the, the, the reason this movie is dated is not because of Skype, but it's because we fixed all the violations that this unseen entity huh. could have done right. to, to take access of all their, uh, of all their, their stuff over the internet. And, and I think that's a really interesting point to watch how far we've come, not just in interface, but in straight up Internet security. You can't do that stuff anymore. Right. Well, paired, though, with things that we still deal with, like when uh, Val, when they think Val has frozen um, and they're like making fun of her and then her phone starts creeping across. That's a great that's a really neat effect. Yeah. It's also an interesting evolution of the ghost story as kind of a ghost that actually like is the ghost in the machine, you know, which like great, literally like Uh. how, how are the, how is the, um, these particular buttons on these uh, windows disappearing, like things that shouldn't be able to happen on these systems that were actually happening. And that was an interesting development in, and actually in, thematic relation to the film itself anyway is to like how these technologies were used to destroy this girl's life and lead her to the point where she killed herself like the the way that thematically like all that technology became her tool her spirit's tool to then uh come at all of them i found to be really interesting they weaponized technology against her and so she uses the exact same thing against them of course and the whole idea of a ghost in the machine like i I feel like that is i should have caught that andy it's such a brilliant point because one of my great dreams is to just be uploaded and be a consciousness of technology i think you guys (laughs) only johnny depp gets to do that (laughs) right You're the new Johnny Mnemonic. Yeah. <laughs> Lawnmower Man, Tom. We've settled Lawnmower that. Man, my apologies. Yeah. <laughs> um, was there any, let's see, was there any other thing? Uh, I like that uh, if the Blair Witch is about being lost in the woods, this can be about reduced uh, to being the fear of being exposed online or real world ramifications of online behavior. That's what, because they are all forced to out themselves and all the horrible things that they've done. Uh, The really chilling peak to the other side for me, like I brought up in the Blair Witch, this one is Val says, I'll knock the trash out of your ears. And uh, Blair writes back, sounds great, but you wouldn't like it here. I'll come over there and knock the trash out of yours. Sounds great, but you wouldn't like it here. Uh, And then all of the times when like Ken removing that lattice and just staring at something. It's the one thing that we're not allowed to see, except maybe that broken POV at the very end that you brought up, Andy, that maybe they're seeing a version. They're actually seeing some sort of entity that then causes them to blender themselves or whatever. And then um, I liked the chat chat roulette also, not in high usage anymore. Totally dated, yeah. Um, Right. But the chat roulette sequence showing, again, how the Internet gives us the lie that we're all connected, that we're all connected. And there 
all the more alone for it because you don't take anything, you take everything as a joke. Everything becomes sort of uh, diluted when you have access to too much. Um, well, I'm really glad that you guys enjoyed it. This is a good one. Uh, the the follow-up, uh, Unfriended Dark Web, is also good, but is they take away completely the supernatural angle. It all involves hmm. being uh, tracked and hunted by hackers. It just goes to oh. the power of... Um, technology in the hands of bad people okay. and so there's like there's a swatting incident there's a this there's a that i still think it's uh, another thing that uh the second one is and this one really shares i think they are tremendously well acted they're very believable yeah. but also very like touching and sad they i think they spent a lot of time casting both of these movies because there isn't just that sort of throwaway gross character even that you would normally be no offense but ken Sort of the bigger guy who's like a little raunchy and has the Philip Seymour Hoffman from Twister kind of vibe. But even he's like funny and good at stuff. And I just I really like it. Well, and, it you know, this doesn't really relate to the epistolary uh, conversation, but I, I it every time I watch one of these, I am a little bit flummoxed. I mean, you know, as as people who have been in the film industry, you know, it's it's it kind of breaks my brain. Like, what is the process of directing something like this? Like, how do they go about making this work in the way that they do? And like, is there how much editing is there? Mm -hmm. Are they just like, okay, here's our two hour block and go. And, you know, it's that it's like, it blows my mind. It's that yeah. he directed it like a play. And they just wow. did it over and over again. And then there are, you can edit then between, but they wouldn't just sort of be yeah. like, let's do this one scene that let them have all of the recordings are available all the time. Wow. So, which is crazy to yeah. me. Because, I mean, obviously there's, you know, she's bringing up other windows and that allows cuts in the Correct. camera for yeah. everyone else. And there are those opportunities. And sometimes they're, they disappear from the screen, from the right. conversation and stuff. Yep. So there are those opportunities for breaks. But sometimes I'm just like, this is just still crazy. Seems really mind boggling yeah. how they're putting this together. Yeah, <laughs> I completely agree. Uh, and it just seems like such a post nightmare. Like yeah, just for all right. of that stuff, <laughs> especially when it gets to, okay, is this, do we need to like, I don't even know, like digitally break up this image and freeze it. Like, how are we, cause like those digital breakups, like when those images like did that whole yeah. mushy, like yeah. old internet, like right. whatever it was where the, where the, their face kind of like spread itself out across the screen as they were moving. Yeah. Like that was such a thing that, uh, and I was trying to remember, I'm like, did that happen often in internet conversations in those days or were they like amplifying it? But it, it ended up working really exceptionally for the film. You know, I, it reminds me of uh, not horror at all, but there was an entire episode of the sitcom Modern Family oh, where yeah. they did that as a screen life. And it, it was extraordinary. But I remember looking at the behind the scenes. They released a behind the scenes on that one and they did recreate the Mac OS interface so that they could make all the elements big enough to convert to 4K. Right. And, and do all the zooms and everything that that wouldn't maybe look as as good or they weren't sure how to get access to all of the you know scale resolution independent assets on the mac os to be able to create this thing so they created it from scratch and i that's what i was thinking was are they like how much of recreating the computer interface mm. did they do to you know in post to make sure that everything was totally legible clear you know all of that feels like a nightmare it feels like, like a i'm so glad that's that yeah, i'm not to be here yeah 
<laughs> yeah. Well, but then, at the same time, like the idea of that as a challenge, I'm like, oh, that would be so much fun. Yeah, it would be so together. satisfying to see it. Yeah, yeah super but like, satisfying. Absolutely. For 30 nights, Mandy and I and Johnny's film, like we had like, what, texts on screen? And that was yeah. a real hassle. <laughs> 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 that took too long. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um, you brought up the, lie, the screen life version of uh, Modern Family and actually... A couple of different sitcoms ended up doing that later, including Parks and Rec did yes. one during the pandemic because a screen life situation is a way that you can have everyone separated yet still film. And that brings us to film number three, Host, uh, directed by Rob Savage in 2020, shot over Zoom in those are all the actual actors, literal apartments. There's no sets. Um, and it was shot over Zoom and released during the pandemic. Uh, it was released on the internet. Shudder saw it, loved it. And Shudder, actually, these, this film and the next one, Deadstream, uh, both uh, were just released on Shudder. That's where they found their homes. This is a story, I guess we didn't really say necessarily about Unfriended, but this is a story about uh, a bunch of friends that meet online and they decide uh, to have sort of a seance of sorts over Zoom. Uh, so they bring in a medium and things go great. Um, <laughs> we, As I said, we are on Zoom now, which is very of the moment. Um, one thing that I just want to point out before asking you guys, I want to reiterate, this was never released in theaters, so it's only ever existed on screens. And that's so important because in the pandemic, that's how all of us were connecting with each other. So the connection feels even more important and even more tenuous in that kind of way. That was the way that we were sort of seeing each other. What did you guys think? Had you seen Host before? And what did you guys think of the movie? It's short. It's just an hour. Why did I put that there? <laughs> I have like these, these facts that I need to get out of early. <laughs> Sorry, uh, what did you guys think of Host? Well, I'll, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed my time with Host. It is, um, it, it's less frenetic than Unfriended, uh, mm -hmm. and and I I felt like I, you know, it's just if you if you want the same movie but really chill. That's what you get with with host. <laughs> um, I, right. I liked the ghosty part was not in the computer. It was in their homes and we mm -hmm. were witnessing. And this was where I was thinking about that sort of unreliability of the narrative. If you think of all the subjective experiences of the people on screen, what we get to see is all the crap going on, like behind them and chairs move right. and things. Swing this is around. very much more akin to like paranormal activity, paranormal activity. Right. Yes. Right, right, right. And so. I, uh, I really enjoyed that experience of it. I enjoyed when you talk about movies that are well acted and on screen, I thought the performances in this movie were really interesting and fun. And, you know, when their relationship started breaking down, when one thought, oh, you're not taking this seriously enough or like, and she just was looking at her phone and they kept talking to her, Emma, Emma, Haley, whoever it was. And she yeah. finally was like, shut up, shut up. I hate you. Uh, yeah. I thought all of those moments were really great. I thought those were great and then things start to unravel and it gets super practical and uh i i thought the violence depicted was was equally interesting the thing i wonder mm. is as you watch this movie the movie ends and there's still like 15 minutes left in the runtime and so you get to the other end and it says hey to make this movie we tried a real seance on zoom right and then you get like 15 minutes of the real thing and it was kind of the same movie. Like you can see how much they modeled the movie right. off of their seance experience. And 
I wonder how much they intended that seance at the end to essentially be the third act kind of of the whole narrative to reframe what you just saw as the extreme version of this, but by saying, hey, you know, we did this and it was also scary for some of us, right? We also felt hands on our neck. We also, like, does it make this sort of epistolary tradition, Hmm. does it amplify the epistolary, uh, epistolary tradition by documenting the human experience of making the movie? Interesting. I'd never even occurred to me. I just thought I completely looked at it like Shutter was like, okay, it's just too short. (laughs) No, but I like what you're saying because it does. I mean, there's different things that happen, but the freezing. Yeah. But the, you know, the the dealing with the technology, dealing with all of that uh, is pretty haunting in real in real life, which is exactly right. Yeah. I uh, maybe I just stopped it too quickly. I didn't see any of that. I <laughs> so that's a surprise to me that 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 it continued with all of that. And it's and it's the all movie. the same people, Andy. Like it's the cast and well, the director yeah. and the another. I right. think it's a different uh, um, witch doctor. No, uh, psychic. Uh, oh, the the medium. Yeah, the right? medium. Who, who, there were no witch doctors every, in this movie. Who connects everyone to the spirit? <laughs> to the spirit. Which and then she, dis- then she she ghosts them. If you know what I mean, she like disappears. <laughs> right. Her spirit is DoorDash. <laughs> it turns out. <laughs> I I ended up. I really liked this one um, as well, and I I liked the way that um, they were playing with the idea of doing something like this through Zoom, and you know, you made the spirit mad by. Um, screwing around. I had just as much fun with this as I did with Unfriended. Um, I absolutely loved it when, what was his name, Tommy? Disappear like Teddy. he his girl Teddy, Teddy yep. yeah. when Teddy's girlfriend like shuts it off and he disappears for the almost the duration <laughs> and then he shows up at the lesbian like hey what's up <laughs> yeah. messing around that was awesome that, was, that yeah. was so funny although this one I did have the question I'm like wait a minute so how is this spirit like I, I don't know it was one of those questions and I suppose it just ties into the technology like is the spirit like jumping through the technology to get to all of their different places. Are there different spirits in each of their places? Is it all just this one hung spirit? I wasn't exactly sure on that. I don't know if it really mattered. It's so short that it just doesn't really, you don't have to stress too much about these sorts of things. Um, But the whole concept of it, I found very gratifying and, uh, you know, just building up to, uh, to all the final moments. It just, um, it was a lot of fun in, in the way that they're putting these, and just the, that ending again, this goes to that note I had earlier, right. how they use the internet, they use the tools of the medium to kind of inform the story and how right at that very last minute, suddenly you get that message popping up, like your zoom session your zoom has ended. Thanks for the free trial or whatever. <laughs> That's great. You know, I, can I, I, I want to make a connection back for these two movies. Now that we've talked about these two in particular to our home invasion series, because that mm. is very much the vibe I get from these movies that so much of the intensity is we're in their homes just because we're looking at them from a screen. We're in their homes and their homes, which are supposed to be protected space, are being violated. They are being mm-hmm. violated in their homes like these these spirits are coming in maybe through the computer, maybe through just this other realm, whatever. 
that is just as bad as breaking through glass or, or or charming your way into a home in funny games. Like it is whatever it is, is protected space is violated. And I think that's one of the things that both of these movies really do well for me. Yeah, because if if we keep along the lines of reducing things, this is the reducing uh, yes. can be reduced to the fear of the outside getting in. Yes. And because of the pandemic, it takes away the well, why don't they just leave? Yes. You can't you because can't the leave. outside, Great. the outside is physically dangerous, as yeah. dangerous as this unseen yeah. force inside. The great um, it follows you. It's not right. the space. Right. Right. You know, which is, a, I mean, that's, that is certainly a fun kind of like ghost, like a haunted house tradition. I, I don't know. My brain goes to like Ringu for something like that, where it's like, it's, or is it Ringu or is it, what was the other um, Japanese horror that came out at that time where it's like, it's not the house that's haunted. It's like, it's going to go you're, find you you're where you're, again, with the pandemic, you're, you're infected. Yes. Yeah. 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 You're it's you you made the mistake. And I <laughs> just got scared by my own dog. <laughs> Did you see him? <laughs> That's never happened before. <laughs> I've been scared. But I think clearly I'm I'm in the screen life uh, for way sure of right doing now. Things. Um to go back to what Andy was saying about not exactly knowing how it works. Uh, you know, how the spirit works and moves other than infecting you. I like that element of that uh, Salem, the medium, when she connects them with the spirit, makes it very clear that she's never done this over Zoom. She, right. yeah. We can't have the circle. We just have to sort of visualize it. We're figuring this out as we go. That brings into that real feeling of like these ancient practices of seances and slamming them together with modern technology and being like, I bet it'll work out fine. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It doesn't work at all, obviously. Um, Which, I, you know, I found to be really interesting when Teddy does show back up because it's like, how is it even he wasn't even around for any of this sort of stuff. Right. But just the simple fact that he shows up when this spirit has like clearly like invaded their technological connection mm -hmm. has found a way now to just get at him uh, when he wasn't around for any of the seance, you know, and that's, right. that was a really fascinating. Is that true? Uh, I thought he surprise. was there for a little bit. Didn't they? Oh, I thought only, he, only the they very hadn't beginning. even started. Yeah. And then his girlfriend pops in and Got it. shuts the I computer. I thought he was a part of the incantation in the very beginning of let the spirits, when they all say, let the spirit in. That would make more sense, I guess, if he was. Uh, but I'm sure I, I, I believe you. Gosh, I, yeah, now I can't remember because like the, the real trick is, was he there when she was making fun of it? Like when everything right. went crazy. Right. Yeah. I don't uh, know. Um, I don't remember. One other two other things that I'd like to say is uh, I think this is it's doubly or triply effective. And it just occurred to me last night as one of them is holding their computer and walking through a dark hallway yeah. that. It, we're watching a horror movie of a bunch of people watching individual horror movies with their friends in it. And while you're seeing them cower, sorry, cower behind their things or like sort of hide their eyes, we're doing the exact same thing. It's like we're one of them. Yes. You might as well yeah. put another camera or one more square on that screen because you're going through it with them. So it's a movie within a movie within a movie in a kind of a way. Um and I also two more things. Uh, I love that the only uh, extra sound because there's no score or anything is that weird still happens this day that <laughs> when your phone gets too close to your. Yes. 
what is electrical it's interference. Yeah, electrical like interference, interference, which is what? Two invisible forces fighting against each yeah, other. Right? So that's like haunting oh, in real life. We hear it all yeah. the time. These things that we can't see visibly and physically interacting with each other. Yeah. Is Although you do get the fantastically creepy diegetic music box uh, oh, right. from Teddy, <laughs> Teddy. Yeah. which which was a great little rewatching it. I forgot yeah. that that re showed up in the barn. Yeah, I thought it was just a throwaway because I just remembered the puppet. Um, and then connecting, you brought up Cloverfield before uh, the. I love the sad haunting moment when towards the very very end of the movie when each camera individually disconnects and like happens in zoom it sometimes goes to your cover photo yeah. and so while yeah. you've watched all of these people be tortured and killed you see them in these incredibly happy pastimes it's almost like they're being haunted by themselves in that moment it reminded me a lot oh, oh sorry of cloverfield if you remember cloverfield uh, tj miller tapes over the party tape is taping over a film that the main guy and the girl that they rescue, they go for a really nice time in like Coney Island or something. And so every once in a while, the film skips and you see them back in a happier time. And then it goes back and yeah. forth, especially at the end. That's just a really nice way to show how far people have come. Yeah. Um, speaking of how far people have come, we're now going to go to our fourth movie, <laughs> which I <laughs> rewatched last night. And I would just like to first say, oops. <laughs> now, I know that maybe <laughs> people are fans of this movie, and I get it. I remember, sorry, it's Deadstream 2022, wife and husband Vanessa and Joseph Winter in their dictori dictatorial debut with Joseph also yeah, I think acting you mean as the directorial. lead. Dictorial. I'm going to say directorial. Say? Dictorial. dictatorial. Yeah. Uh, no, with Joseph Winter in his fascist debut. <laughs> 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 At least I said it nine times. <laughs> uh, yes, this is about a uh, disgraced uh, YouTuber or Twitch streamer uh, forcing himself to do something very scary and break into a haunted house and things go great. Um, I remember uh, this movie being much scarier. Uh, the first time I saw it and potentially there was some help from some white wine back then. So I was rewatching it last night to prepare for this. I was very shocked by how unscary it was. Uh, but the re I still really like to before I ask uh, what you guys thought of it. Uh, I still really like it. that It's placement in this because now this is the format of screen life starting to eat itself. We are officially putting filmmaking, live streaming artifacts artifice back into the production we are commenting on things as they are happening this is the first movie that is meant to be watched just as it is all the other movies are kind of still like found footage no one's supposed to be watching uh unfriended other than just those people same with host but now this is going out to yeah. a ton of different people um and so uh in hindsight, I potentially would have replaced this movie with maybe like Hell House LLC because it's it's also sort of self-knowing and meta. But uh, either way, this is the film that we have. And I've heard that maybe one of us might be a fan of it. Is that true? And if so, I'd be thrilled to know that. It would make me feel so happy. <laughs> I, I was a big fan of Excellent. it. Had, oh, I'm so I glad. Had, I was so embarrassed I last, watching it. I mean, I think it's really it was, funny. It is so funny. Yeah. I laughed, th I mean, sometimes out loud at this film. Yes. It was just, it caught me at just the right, I don't know, the, the right mood or whatever, but it was, it was so stinking funny. And just like I agree with a that. great meta look at the nature of this type of, of storytelling mm -hmm. of these YouTubers who 
live online. I mean, it's like somebody who chooses to put themselves into Ed TV's shoes, right. you know, and, and like, I'm going to, you know, I, even when I'm peeing, I'm going to be filming myself and, and like that entire, um, ability for some people like this to kind of just not have any concern about dignity at all it's and they're constantly like what was great is the constant running of comments going up right. the side of the screen and then having him responding to all of that mm -hmm. and and i i don't know it was really great i mean it, it definitely like devolves with some of the uh creature effects where it really just looked like rubber masks <laughs> it gets a little <laughs> same like, yeah. yeah early yeah, same like, oh, really yeah all right i think you probably could have done a little more with that but at the same time um it was i just so much enjoyed the meta world that we were stepping into. Here. Yes. I, uh, I think that Pete. was it. And I was texting Tom live as we were watching this and <laughs> I wanted to get back to the, the setting and the setup. And I think part of the reason that I was, I was felt betrayed by the movie about 30 minutes in was that the first 30 minutes, I was legit anxious about the setting of this movie. This is like, put me in a place that I didn't want to be. These, uh, like the old houses, I don't care for them. The old spooky <laughs> houses. Yep. And I'm not somebody who like, believes in ghosts really, right? But but it is, it's legit creepy. I just don't care for it, mm -hmm. right? And and the fact that he keeps finding artifacts of other violence, right? That, right? that may have been supernatural in nature, whatever. And then it did, it started looking cheap. And I was like, this maybe isn't the movie that it is, but it, I thought it actually came around again. And once I started laughing at it, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed my Good. time with it because it's like dumb fun. And by the end, when he throws himself out the window, uh, <laughs> I was howling. I thought that was really, just a legit funny bit and so it took me a while to come back around to it and uh and overnight like i woke up this morning and i thought i think all three of these movies with the exception obviously of blair witch i i found a way to attach to in a way that gave me a lot of joy and and are super compelling the other thing about this movie that i thought is it, it has a it has a vibe to it though not necessarily a a horror vibe sort of was um uh Adam Rifkin's film uh director's cut uh, which mm. yeah it was Pendulet it was the Pendulet movie where he he was involved in a movie and he was fired and so he kidnapped the star on the of the movie and remade it himself as as like a Swede and it was it's it's like really wicked and funny and nobody saw it but yeah. um I, I you know I liked it Okay. I, uh, Harry Hamlin is in it, you know. I mean, it's just it's just got some funny. It's a very dark horror sort of comedy, and I uh, I really enjoyed what they were doing there. And this has that same sort of vibe. It's like we're going to do something where everybody we the the point is everybody can see it and be shocked by it. And the sooner we can go from creating the image and the message to their eyeballs, the better. And so in this case the culture of live streaming was well represented in mm -hmm. this movie. And I think that's one of the important things uh, that, that the movie is, is trying to state is like what, to what end eyeballs. And right. I, I think this, this movie has a perspective. I thought it was really fun. And you brought up the idea uh, with uh, unfriended of people watch that movie. And then one of the things to take from it is how many things that we've solved how we've updated yeah. the technology. When I said in the beginning that part of the evolution for this movie is that so much he is able to, even though he's live streaming, he in effect is able to direct 
his own yes. full movie. He's got cameras everywhere. He can zoom in and zoom out. He has his own soundtrack, uh, and he can immediately cut to himself, to a close-up, to an over-the-shoulder. I mean, he has brought all of that to a live setting, and so you couldn't be more aware that you are watching something that is being manufactured. And yet when it works, it's still, I still think that that then, when it does, it does have some major scares, uh, I thought. Not, none involving the masks, uh, but other <laughs> atmospheric ones. Just surprises. And when the too, surprises, yeah. when those work, they really work. And I think because they gave us all of our defenses back. And then it still works. So we get we lull ourselves into a feeling of protection. Um, yeah. I also like that this film is perhaps the most epistolary of epistolaries because of all of the different nature. And he has clips and yep. he has photos and he has everything. It's a it's a treasure trove of found texts in different ways in order to tell the story of Mildred. And how and he's bringing people went. in live yeah. and, and like playing other people who are commenting on it as it goes, which reminded me of uh, one of my most favorite things in the entire world. I'm just going to talk about it real quick because I think it might be really hard to find. I was going to suggest it for this podcast, but the only thing I can find on the Internet are reaction videos. Speaking of live streamers, reaction mm. videos to it. Have you ever heard of Ghost Watch, a BBC broadcast from 1992? I'm lucky so. enough to have a DVD of it, but it's one of those things that's pretty out of print. Again, bragging. What it was is they did on Halloween night in 1992. They had actual uh, British um, newscasters, real newscasters, real anchors do this live. We're going to go in and check out this haunted house that this bothering this family and tell the story. And the whole thing was live. And it turned out to be this massive war of the world situation. Sure. Where they, it was this real life haunting that then devolves and it's stunningly boring at first and stunningly British and then so scary and exciting. And it's absolutely one of my most favorite things in the entire world. And the reason I'm bringing it up right now is they had people were calling in like the phone system shut down because people were like, look, I saw something, the, the dangling, like the, the <laughs> legs in host. I saw legs and then their operators in real time were going, it's fake. Yeah. But then they had fake plants calling in to do that. And so they had the idea of, in effect, live streaming. They were taking yeah. calls live wow. in a phone bank, uh, taking these sort of comments with people to call in to add to the ver verisimilitude. Woo. I um, think I just posted it in uh, our private chat. I'll put it in Discord. Uh, I, it's on YouTube. Well, and it looks like you can rent it on, it on Voodoo. Yeah. Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah, you can rent it on Voodoo. Yeah. Boy, did I not look very hard. Okay, well, I highly <laughs> recommend that it's called Ghost Watch. It is old. It is TV, but I find it to be outstanding. It's really exciting for what they did and the amount yeah. of S that they took for it. Because yeah, kind of like War of the Worlds, England was pissed. <laughs> they were really not happy with it. Can you imagine England? Uh, yeah, stiff upper lipping all of that. Uh, oh, okay, wow. so sorry about that. So going back to uh, Deadstream. Um, are there other things that you wanted to bring up about it? I just, I like that it sort of closes the loop in effect of taking slowly stripping everything away and then bringing it all back, but for the exact same effects. Well, and what's interesting, like once we get to this, the, the nature of found footage stories and films is that the entire premise is this happened 
somebody happened across the tapes or the film or whatever, and they put it together, and now they're showing it to you. Mm -hmm. And so it's something that has happened, and then somebody obviously like culled it together. I mean, you, I, you you watch the Blair Witch Project, and to a certain extent, the only way that it could exist is if a documentary filmmaker or something found this footage, processed the film, yeah. realized they had a story, cut it together, and presented it to you. You know, and that's largely the case with any of these things. I think the best example is probably, oh, what's the one where they go into like the 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 haunted asylum or whatever and they go into the like the the last guy finally ends up in the the basement and he's walking through this hallway and it just goes on forever and ever and ever and he just dies in the hallway and then the entire setup of the story though is his actual producer talking to the camera saying you know i sent this to team in this is horrible that it happened i wanted to present it to you here's the mm. footage and then he comes back at the ending so that's what happened and like that's an, a, a real meta example of the person who found this footage and is now presenting like it to you device, right yeah, yeah like yeah. a framing device what we're finally now getting to is it's happening real time. Like this is live streaming. Mm -hmm. We're watching this thing happening. And like, potentially like if you don't know that you can be like, Hey, let's live stream this thing. And it feels like you're legitimately watching a live stream. And, and suddenly it's taking out that entire documentary and documentarian aspect of somebody now presenting this found footage to you mm -hmm. with something that is live. And that's like that's... An, an, a new interesting shift in the way that these stories are told. I wanted to talk a little bit about the performative nature of it, and particularly our our principal actor, right? This, this was uh, Joseph Winter. Mm -hmm. Joseph Winter. I, I think he does a, a really a hell of a job amping up. And, and I don't know if this is just because of what kind of an actor he is. I haven't seen him in anything else. But um, I, I think he does a hell of a job of living up to the artifice of the live stream culture. Uh, in his performance and delivery, because it's it's a little bit jarring. It's super out there, right? Like he's just he's all face all the time, and I think he lives up to the gear hanging off of his body. I think the way he performs fear and actually the way he dances between performative fear and legitimate fear right. at the end of the movie is actually really nice. And insofar as it's a huge performance. That line is pretty nuanced, right? Uh, it, it is a very strange sort of uh, live stream uh, final climax against Melanie, right? When she comes out and he's left his pants on the floor and <laughs> Mildred hit, but yes. Mildred, I mean, yeah, yeah. he hits her, uh, which, which is a, again very big. But but his experience, I think, the way he performed this role, which was just a lot of him, um, I, I thought he did a, I thought he did a good job. I, I think the the challenge with the movie is that it's cheap on the makeup because mm -hmm. that's what they were working with. But I I was able to get over the get over the rubber stuff and and uh, I thought it was yeah. Fun. Again, they they make these so fast yeah. and tight that you don't have time uh, really dwelling on the fact that some of the stuff looked a little rubbery. Yeah. Like just I, I'm looking at the rubbery mask in the bathtub just long enough where I'm like, oh, it looks a little fake. Then boom, it, it explodes. explodes. Yeah, right. right. And it's like, oh, okay. I don't, no. I don't really have time to focus on the face. Focus on <laughs> that too much. Plus on the face. Yeah. That's disgusting. That's much worse <laughs> than the makeup. I'm glad that you pointed him out because the the low rent version of it would have just been make him straight up annoying. Yes. 
and and make you hate him and just watch someone be but yeah. instead he is charming and he is yeah. funny and how he keeps giving himself under the breath strikes whenever yeah. he like yeah. um, accidentally swears or, or something like that there's yeah. a there's a real like I bet that guy is really funny in real life. I would like yes. to meet that actor because I bet he's a blast to hang out with. Well, and also, yeah. you know, as a lot of comic actors, right, like he's also he portrays vulnerability well, like when he mm -hmm. gets sort of breaks down and is like talking about what he regrets and how he doesn't regret the things that everybody thinks he should regret. And yeah. uh, I thought that was a really interesting bit of uh, portrayal of Internet rage. Mm -hmm. on on the creator's perspective and um yeah i i bought in and he works perfectly for it i agree with all that and it's just he smartly recognizes the way that these sorts of streamers uh, create these apology videos and how mm -hmm. they don't really feel like they're actually apologizing like right. they don't feel authentic and he ended up creating this character that you're He's so endearing, but as you read all the comments, you're like, some people really hate him. Some people love him. Some people oh, just give him a chance. And like, there's this whole back and forth. And and it was this interesting um, portrayal of essentially kind of like the way that these things really seem to play out in the YouTube live streaming world where some people hate watch it and some people love watch it, mm -hmm. but people watch but it people and watch that was it. the yeah. thing. And, and you know, the apology video was enough to get him a sponsor again and he's back. And, and I found that to be an interesting line because like he, even by the time he's like doing the chance with the finger or the hand drawing on the ground and stuff, like he's not getting it. He doesn't understand. And I'm like, dude, do you know what you're doing? You're like cursing yourself. Right. But like it, it was, it played itself in, in such an interesting way where I could buy into the fact that he wasn't getting all of this. Exactly. Right. Clearly they have an idea and a vision of, of this kind of horror. And I really, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I liked the use of all the GoPro cameras taping them up and, and, um, in, in particular one scene, he, he uses VHB tape, a new sort of 3M super adhesive tape. And I, I got a little tickle about that because I'm, <laughs> I'm a big fan of VHB tape. When command strips won't do, you go to VHB tape, and I like that a lot. I might <laughs> and if you remember anything from this right episode, uh, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah that's, I'll that's put a link to, to VHB about. tape, sponsored by yeah. VHB tape and 3M Company. <laughs> Not really. Well, I just want to real quickly oh, say that the the found footage film that I was trying to remember was called Grave Encounters. The Vicious oh, Brothers directed that, that in 2011. That's um, that's the one with that kind of like the producer framing device. Uh, it's any, a fun one. But at any point, does a does a spooky witch put her finger up your nose in that movie? Because I think that's only <laughs> sadly no. Deadstream. That's that only Deadstream. Yeah. <laughs> and leave a fingernail up there. Come on. Well, if you're going to do it, um, <laughs> guys, thank you so much. This was really fun. And uh, you guys made this much uh, deeper and better than it would have been on its own. So I really appreciate it. Uh, for listeners that enjoyed this conversation or looking for more recommendations, at least from me, these will be in the show notes, but in no particular order. Uh, Hell House LLC, uh, Quarantine, Wreck, Cloverfield, Unfriended, Dark Web, Creep, Number One and Number Two, Paranormal Activity, The Last Exorcist. The Sacrament, Ghost Watch, the aforementioned Ghost Watch, The Taking of Deborah Logan, The Visit, The Bay, and Searching, which admittedly is more of a thriller. I think we can wrap it up. What do you guys think? Good job, Tom. Good Sounds job. good. Fantastic. We did it. 
So thank you everyone again for joining us in the dark and thank you, special thanks to guest star Andy, a last minute fill-in for someone that unfortunately had to uh, drop out, who was Ray. So thank you so much, Andy. We really appreciate it. And hey, everyone out there in your dark basements, make sure you do all the stuff that you do with podcasts. If you'd like to get longer ad-free episodes of this show, visit thenextreel.com slash membership and subscribe. For just a few bucks, you'll have access to the beefier show, Gross, plus all of the triple secret Discord channels on the truestory.fm server. We'd love to have you there. So my name is Tommy. Pete, thank you so much for joining us. You did great, Tom. Thanks. Andy, thank you so much for the fill-in. Oh, I had a great time. Thanks for inviting me. Excellent. And we will catch up with you next month right here, sitting in the dark. Andy, according to my friend, Internet, this is what Letterboxd is. Letterboxd is a global social network for grassroots film discussion and discovery. Use it as a diary to record and share your opinion about films as you watch them, or just keep track of films you've seen in the past. Showcase your favorites on your profile page. That is a lot. You bet it is. That's why I want you to tell our fair listeners just one thing you do with Letterboxd that has changed the way you watch movies. Let them have it. Okay, are you ready for this? So ready. I love lists. As of today, I have 246 lists in my account. I use them to track the movies I watch, organize them in all sorts of different ways. I track them by hand. I clone lists from other people. I use them to plan what I'm going to be watching. All sorts of things. I just, I love creating lists. It's a fantastic tool. Sexiest animated characters. Andy, what is this? We love Letterboxd. And if you're a movie lover, we are sure you will too. And when you upgrade from the free account, you will remove ads and support the great Kiwi team building this amazing service. Just use the discount code NEXTREEL or visit thenextreel.com slash letterboxd to get 20% off your pro or patron membership. And it works for renewals as well.